Welcome to the Well Season Librarian Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones. This is Season 10, Episode 15. Getting to talk to butcher author Matt Moore was a real thrill. Um, he's a just a really down-to-earth, um, really intelligent guy. And getting to talk to him about meat was just a pleasure. Um, it's really kind of exciting when you're talking to somebody who's really passionate about what they do. And Matt, you know, he just, not only is he just like so like completely grounded and down to earth, he really does know what he's talking about. There's no hyperbole there. He really is a master of his craft of butchery and he likes sharing it with all kinds of people. He has a new book out called Butcher on the Block, Everyday Recipes, Stories and Inspirations from Your Local Butcher and Beyond. This is a really thrilling cookbook. Um, to have. I got an advanced copy of it and um, it was amazing because not only did it have really good information on cooking meat, which is something I'm always looking for because my family will tell you I'm not always the best at it. <clears throat> and, you know, finding ways to take, you know, meat and utilize it so people can get the most out of it is something that I'm really interested in. And Matt had a lot of information on that. But not only that, he had a lot of interviews with um, butchers across the country, cattle producers, people that really are invested in the process of providing meat to the public for cooking. And he was there talking to these people and really highlighting their work, which I think is so generous. It's so amazing to see people that are like that, that are so giving of others. And, you know, I really felt blessed to have him on the podcast. You know, you've probably seen him before. He's been all over the place and rightfully so, because he's really charming. He's been on, you know, the Today Show, Fox and Friends, VH1, and more. You know, he's been on TV and, and different cooking shows. So, you know, I think he's really going to go someplace. I think he's you're going to see a lot more of him from here on out. He's written a couple of really highly acclaimed books on meat as well. The South's Best Butts and Southern Gentleman's Kitchen, which you're going to want to check out because those are really wonderful as well. I don't want to, you know, keep you here uh, chatting about this. I just... I want to let you know how excited I was to talk to Matt Moore because I really had a good time talking to him. And I really want to tell you, you really got to get his book, Butcher on the Block. It's got some really great stuff in it. It's got some really um, amazing ways with meat here. And also, there's a lot of variety here. Um, he tackles a lot of different types of meats, um, stuff you're going to use at home every day, some stuff you may have a harder time getting, but finding... Also, he has a lot of really good um, side dishes and vegetable dishes and vegetarian dishes too, which I found as a surprise, but that's what he's all about. Without further ado, I'm going to take you to my conversation with Matt Moore, talking about his brand new book out today, Butcher on the Block, Everyday Recipes, Stories, and Inspirations from Your Local Butcher and Beyond. And on we go. Welcome to the Well Season Librarian podcast. Today, I'm very excited to be having on the podcast Matt Moore. He is an entrepreneur, cook, musician, host, pilot, and the quintessential Southern gentleman. He's the author of South's Best Butts and Southern Gentleman's Kitchen. His food writing has garnered critical acclaim from the Wall Street Journal, Chicago Tribune, and New York Times. His Southern charm has landed him on the Today Show, Fox and Friends, VH1, and WGN. 
Matt has a new book, Butcher on the Block, Everyday Recipes, Stories, and Inspirations from Your Local Butcher and Beyond, that I'm very excited to talk about. Matt, welcome to the podcast. So I wanted to talk about you a little bit. I don't have a chance to talk to butchers very often on this show. So now that I have somebody on that who does that, I want to get a chance to kind of talk to you about that a little bit and your life as well. Now, you're the son of a cattleman and the grandson of a butcher. Can you talk about your childhood and how this impacted your future career? Yeah, you know, I was uh, super fortunate. That's on disparate sides of the family. So my, my father's side um, grew up in Enterprise, Mississippi, in the cattle business. My, my father actually uh, spent 30 years of his career working for a company called American Breeder Service out of uh, Wisconsin. So a lot of fond memories growing up on the farm. Uh, went through the whole Angus cattle boom of the 90s. And on the opposite side is my mom's family um, from Valdosta, Georgia, originally came to this country from Beirut. And my great-great-grandfather was a butcher who traveled through France, uh, wound up in, in Tennessee, and ultimately in Valdosta. And that's really where the interest lied for me, is picking up the, the roots of my grandfather's story um, and being able to showcase uh, a part of a generational piece that kind of, that kind of lapsed. Um, so, you know, on both sides, from, from the farm to the actual butcher, a lot of influence that's, uh, that's played up well throughout the books that I've been able to write. What are some of your earliest memories, uh, food memories from your childhood? You know, I feel really fortunate family where food was really always the, the centerpiece of the table. Uh, my wife kind of jokes around when she first joined our family. She said, you guys are the only people that at breakfast on Tuesday, you're already planning dinner on Friday. Um, but, you know, food is always a really big part of, of what we do. I have a lot of fond memories, um, not only of my mother, you know, cooking family dinners and, and breakfasts, uh, but also my is really uh, just a loving soul. And I've uh, been able to talk a lot about her and, and my books in the past. But, you know, there's not a morning that goes by on a Sunday morning that I don't have that kind of smell of, um, cast iron and, and chicken frying in it, uh, preparing for church on Sunday to have a big uh, Sunday lunch. And, and those were, you know, events that I remember that it wasn't just our family, it was extended family, strangers, preachers, and everybody that wanted to come. And so that's a big tradition that I've carried down of just growing up around food. If I came home from uh, maybe a football practice, I was in the kitchen, you know, learning how to cook with my mom. And when I became uh, an adult, I realized most of my friends didn't have that experience. And so that's really what set me down the path of being able to share my knowledge really as a home cook. You know, I'm not a formally trained chef. and I try to approach home cooking and writing recipes that I want them to be successful. The day my goal is that I want to teach people that cooking is something. Um, and it's also a chance for us to be hospitable to others and, and kind of reach out and share those experiences. So that's that's really my mission is still continue to write books is that I want other people to be cooking as well. Now, I want to ask you this question, because like I said, I, I got a chance to talk to a butcher. What do you think that as a butcher and other like the thoughts of other butchers that when they when they actually talk to the public, what is it about meat you'd like us to know when our purchasing of it and cooking of it? You know, I, I'm really fortunate. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and um, feature a couple of folks that are in, important here. Uh, Porter Road Butcher, which is really what I would say is on the cutting edge of what we might consider butcher shops to be here in America. Um, all the way down to uh, a gentleman by the name of Tommy Kelly, who works at the the supermarket, the Kroger supermarket. So kind of a, a, a far gap between maybe the, the local butcher and the supermarket. But my job was to really showcase how much we actually have in common. 
Um, but James Peisker, who is the one of the owners of, of Porter Road, I think he puts it really well uh, with a quote that I got from him that said, you know, hey, I'm a butcher and I'm actually telling people to, to eat less meat, but I'm having them maybe focus on better meat. And so I do think that we, we have in our culture probably uh, maybe too much meat consumption. And that would even come from uh, most butchers. And, and maybe it's not about the consumption, but the quality of what we're consuming. And that doesn't mean to pick up everything at a high-end butcher shop. Uh, it means that you can you can alternative cuts um, and enjoy those and, and maybe enjoy them um, in more of a sustained fashion. So I think on the whole, um, we've got a lot of resurgence where you know people are wanting to know the source of their food, the quality of their food. And that's typically been kind of a European ideal. But here in the U.S., I was really, really excited. And that's one of the reasons I was is to go out and showcase that whether it is the supermarket or it is your local butcher uh, or you're sourcing from maybe a product store or a local vendor, there's a lot of choices out there and a lot of great folks that um, you know are being able to give us these, these opportunities to source and, and drive that ingredient. So what should people seek out in a butcher? For me, I mean, the, the, the moral of the story is a friendship, right? Community. Yeah. Um, I, the butcher shop is, is one of those places. And again, like I said, it, it may not be a freestanding building. It might be in the back of, of your local market, but you know, ultimately the butcher is asked to give. Um, that's part of the introduction of the book. You know, if you go up to the local butcher, the first question you have is, do you have this today? Or do you have any of that? Or, hey, I see this. Would you mind doing that to it? Or can you cut me a quarter pound of this? Or my favorite question that all butchers get is, how do you cook this, right? So most butchers yeah. could probably write their own cookbooks because a lot of folks are coming in and seeking that expert advice. The quality that I find um, throughout my travels and, and throughout my life is that you know, that is a, a fantastic opportunity where the butcher is truly uh, someone who gives, someone who wants to, um, to provide um, you know, that ingredient that's going to sustain so that you continue to come back and, and, and trust them for uh, good quality and advice. Yeah, I remember once um, I got to go to a butcher in Napa and uh, they had beef heart on sale and I bought some and I was I asked them, I said, how do you cook this? And their eyes lit up like they were so happy to be able to share that information. And it was it was good on both ends, I think. Absolutely. I remember people I've known, like my parents, for instance, who had purchased like a half or a whole steer or pig. And I've always thought this is a brilliant idea. Do you have any ideas or thoughts about the trend of the whole animal, responsible sourcing, and how to get your local butchers to get in on working with your family on, on getting meat? Yeah, I mean, to go back to my, my father's side of, of being in the cattle business, you know, I, I think a lot of folks these days are, are choosing to go in on a, on a whole animal, whether they're sourcing um, half or a quarter whole, um, and then having a, a local purveyor like a processor uh, that has the specialty to be able to break down that animal. So I think first and foremost, it just starts with the quality of knowing how that animal was raised, um, you know, from pasture to plate, if you will. And that's, that's a big sentiment that we see not only in the feature of Porter Road, but you know, to actually showcase a highlight from Cambridge City, Indiana, we, we travel to meet the Rim family that's in their um, going into their fourth generation of, of butchering. And they are a place where, um, you know, you can actually bring that animal and have it processed and, and, and serve throughout the year. So I think, you know, that's a, a fantastic way of, of knowing a, a single use um, and being able to trust the quality and being able to kind of customize how you want that to be fabricated. So 
Uh, for example, I may say I don't want the, the ribeyes uh, cut in the traditional method. I may say I want the ribeye cap so that I can make one of my favorite steaks and then we'll use the rest of that cut for an alternative use. So you actually can start to dictate um, how you want that to be processed. Um, you know, we talk about in the book going to Williamsport, Pennsylvania, where we actually butchered a whole hog on site. And in the Italian method of butchering a hog, you're actually cutting the meat off of the ribs so that you can make this beautiful porchetta that you'll see in the book, which is quite different than maybe a, a butcher here in Tennessee that wants to preserve the meat on the ribs so that they have the choices of selling, you know, the barbecue style cuts of ribs. So I do think um, sourcing and, and going in on a whole animal, not only do you trace the origins of that animal, but you can also start to drive the types of cuts and, and maybe resources that you might want to enjoy throughout that year. I'm old enough to have seen a lot of changes in the way we do shopping over the years, and I've seen things come and go. I've also seen a resurgence in people I've seen more locally um, and more recently where people are talking about um, going to school and training to be a butcher. Do you, have you seen like trends change in the recent years regarding that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I go back to the inspiration of this book. Um, my, my third book was a book on, on barbecue. We traveled the barbecue belt, uh, meeting pitmasters and, and learning everything that's good that happens when it's low and slow. Um, I followed that book in 2020. Um, that book was called The South's Best Butts. In 2020, I released a book called Cereal Griller. And it was the exact opposite of barbecue that happened hot and fast and we looked at live fire grilling across the country and so for butcher on the block i wanted to still preserve the idea of of my audience really trusting me for for both barbecue and grilling but i didn't want to be bound by just one cooking method right so i wanted to move just from low and slow or grilling hot and fast to barbecue grilling raw roasted and fried and Honestly, it was during the pandemic that the idea started to come to me, obviously tracing my own grandfather as a butcher, but I would, I would source during those times. We all know, you know, you go to the store um, responsibly and try to source ingredients and there wasn't a whole lot there. And what was typically in, in those cases were uh, pieces of meat that, you know, maybe folks were intimidated by like whole chickens or beef ribs or these alternative cuts. And so that kind of created a little bit of inspiration for me that there's maybe a need for folks to be able to, to realize how they can approach these types of items. And so, yes, we're going to have filet mignon, we're going to have ribeyes, we're going to have top sirloins, but we are going to have some alternative ideas throughout the book because I want people to be able to expand their culinary horizons. And at the end of the day, I do think that you are seeing a resurgence in the locally owned butcher, in the, the sourcing of your ingredients. Um, and one of the things I always tell people about going to the local butcher is also being able to source, you know, not only the cuts that they may specialize in, but especially for the meat eaters and the folks that really prefer the, the steak, the dry aging techniques that really the local butcher is taking beyond what you might find at the uh, specialty or supermarket store. So I want to ask you about um, meat and cuts of meat. What are some of your favorite? popular cuts of meat that we often miss in the supermarket because we're grabbing things like a ribeye or something like that? You know, I was on a camping trip this past weekend with about 30 folks. Uh, so I was trying to feed an army and uh, I made uh, kebabs, kind of a style that we feature my grandfather's old school recipe with tons of garlic and vinegar and 
salt and olive oil and um, all those good flavors. And everybody was kind of nodding their head up and down. Oh my gosh, this is so tender. Is this filet mignon? Is this a ribeye? And I just kind of shook my head and, and it was really just a lean piece of sirloin. Um, and so I, I think whether it's top sirloin or sirloin, there's a lot of different alternative cuts. And that's where we start to use technique like a marinade, right? So that's going to allow us to kind of break down some of that process, the way that I went about cutting that and trimming the meat. And then ultimately how we cooked it, if we overcook, it's gonna to become too tough. And so there are a lot of cuts, um, specifically on the beef side, um, like a London broil, like a flank steak, like a skirt steak that I think offer a lot of affordability, a lot of utility um, and just fantastic flavor. Just might approach them a touch differently in how we prep and how we actually cook those. Um, we, we hit the same thing, obviously, in, in other animals as well, like a pork shoulder, which oftentimes is going to need that low amount to produce those delicious results. Just leveraging the cut that we're given and then approaching it with techniques. And that is something, you know, to play up that point that most butchers are just, you know, uh, just so willing to tell you, hey, take this. And, and put it on your grill, but don't cook it over a hot fire. You know, put it on the indirect heat for a couple hours, wrap it in foil or put it in a tin with, you know, some aromatics, and then you'll get the result that you're looking for. So I think it's a lot of diversity in the types of uh, cuts that we find and the ways that we can approach it. And as a father and as somebody who entertains a lot, I'm always looking for affordable options that, um, you know, I can still enjoy uh, hosting and, and sharing with other people. This episode is sponsored by Culinary Historians of Northern California, a Bay Area educational group dedicated to the study of food, drink, and culture in human history. To learn more about this organization and their work, please visit their website at www.chnorcal.org. I'm always loving seeing all the new tech and uh, new techniques that are coming out across the country, especially with barbecue. And I mean, barbecue has been blowing up all over the country for a while. And I'm just, I love seeing all the new stuff that's coming out on the cooking shows and in some of the food writing. What are some of the new trends in uh, barbecuing that you're seeing right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think barbecue, it, it has sort of reputation that uh, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And there's a lot of truth to that, right? So, you know, the, the qualities of good barbecue still remain. It's, it's sourcing really great ingredients and then applying time and temperature and, and really not taking any shortcuts um, in order to produce those results that, that we so love. You know, I, I'd say on the trend side, my one of my favorite recipes that we have in the book is something that I did get primarily just from social media. And I'm not a huge social media guy, but I guess because I'm looking at food all the time. Uh, in Germany, they have something they kind of refer to as the beef hammer is the, is the translation. And it is the beef shank where the bone has been Frenched. Uh, so it's a clean, almost like a handle on a hammer. And you've got this, this large portion of meat surrounding it, almost looking like a mallet. And they are approaching it with a barbecue style because it's something that's gonna be a tougher cut. It needs time and temperature for it to produce the, the results. So we smoke it and then we end up kind of braising it 
And what you get is sort of a roast beef, kind of a brisket style quality, typically at maybe a, a quarter of the cost. So you could do it on tacos. You could do it in traditional style barbecue. You might do it in pita with you know, some tzatziki sauce and those types of things. But, you know, I, I love coming across those types of trends. And it was such a really unique cut that, in fact, we, we decided to put it right next to the, uh, the cover page of the book. Um, so I'm always open to those types of things and expanding the boundary, expanding the footprint of what we might consider barbecue because it's come a long way, but we're always respectful to uh, the traditions and the techniques and almost the persistence that's required to produce uh, fantastic barbecue. Okay, so now I'm going to talk about your new book because, and it's going to be out of, as of this recording, it'll be out of this day on May 9th. Um, but your book, Butcher on the Block, Everyday Recipes, Stories, and Inspirations from Your Local Butcher and Beyond. It's a fabulous book. And I, I don't want to, I want to disabuse people of the idea that it's just a cookbook because it's, it's so much more. And it really, to me, it's like a bit of a travel guide. Um, it, it highlights very uh, generously other butchers across the United States. Most people, when they, most chefs or authors, when they write books, it's about them. But you write, wrote a lot about people across the United States and a good cross-section of the country uh, in different regions. Can you talk about your book a bit and how you thought about writing this and what you envisioned for it? Yeah, all my cookbooks, I want them to be not sitting on a coffee table or a shelf. I really want them to be worn out and, and tattered and the, the corners to be bent. And you know, I was doing an event last year at Barnsley Gardens in Georgia, which is a beautiful place. And um, a couple came up to me and they brought one of my books to Southern Gentleman's Kitchen and it was basically destroyed. Uh, but they had notes um, on a tenderloin that they had literally written down every single date of the last 10 years where they had used it um, and just marking those occasions. So those are the kind of books that I want to write. And I want to write books that are, you know, thought provoking for those that um, might cook more at home and then also really um, hospitable to those that maybe haven't. Um, gone down this journey of cooking. I'm a father of two girls. There's a lot of weeknights. I'm looking for something super quick and easy to put uh, out there for dinner. And that's where you'll come across my my princess rice as I dubbed it, because uh, I do have two princesses. And that's a good fast way for me to take ground beef, whether it's frozen or fresh, uh, to produce a great meal that they love and recipe. You know, at the same time, we do travel you know, from, from uh, San Francisco, Chinatown to Antibes in the south of France. And I want you to meet, you know, the people that I've uh, been able to come across throughout my travels, a, a wide cast of, of people and uh, faith, religion, cuisines, you name it, um, because we're so fortunate to live in a country here where, where everybody came from somewhere else. And the one thing that we bring is, is our food. Um, and so it can be a Saturday morning read with a cup of coffee where I invite you to come to places like Chinatown and San Fran or Enterprise, Alabama, um, and meet the people and, and learn their ideas and, and maybe... Uh, decide that day that that's a recipe that you want to go out and tackle. But I, I do love this idea of you kind of sitting in the right seat with me in a little 1976 Piper Cherokee or out on the open road. And it is about everybody else. It's not about me. Um, and that's that brings me a lot of joy and a lot of responsibility in the books that I'm writing. I was excited to see that this book has a butchering primer at the beginning, because that's something like a cook like me really needs that. What are some of the tools um, that you think people should have in their kitchen when they start getting serious about cooking meat? Yeah, I mean, that was a, a place that I struggled with um, for this book. I mean, I finally just came out and said it. I've got a great editor. 
uh, Sarah, who's done my last couple of books, and she always reminds me that, hey, they're your books, so say what you want to say. And so the first line of the book is, this is not a book about butchering per se, it's about the butcher. Um, that being said, I know there's going to be a lot of folks that pick up this book and, and are inclined maybe to learn a little bit about, you know, technique, you know, in theory, if I wrote a book about um, butchering techniques, I'd be putting the butchers out of business and that's not my intent at all. Um, but I did want to showcase, you know, a butchering primer, went to the guys at Porter Road and said, hey, what are the, what are the basic things for the at-home cook that needs to break down that whole chicken that they're not picking up because they're just afraid maybe to approach it um, or how to fillet a fish properly? You know, a lot of times around the holidays, you see sales on, on beef tenderloins, and I do a lot of holiday parties where folks just didn't know how to properly trim that tenderloin or didn't ask their butcher to help them. And then finally, just some technique on, on pork chops, which I think, you know, you take me to a steakhouse, and if they have a pork chop on the menu, I'm going to order that first. So, you know, I, I'd say that what you think you would hear from, from traveling, you know, tens of thousands of miles and interviewing butchers, the most common thing was a sharp knife. <laughs> um, so that's obviously one of those that's out there. Most of them using boning knives, um, uh, you know, semi-flex and, and, and a sturdy knife. So typically maybe just two knives. You know, there's, there's a lot of thought and care into just the home environment and keeping things clean, having, you know, dedicated surfaces and areas where you might be breaking down uh, different types of proteins. But we also talk about vegetable butchering in the book as well. So I, I think kind of the mantra of a good sharp knife a good clean area where you can do, you know, some of that work to, to procure and maybe prep probably 95% of what you might be exploring at home. We go down a little bit of a path of using some technology, which allow you to do some aging and other techniques. Um, but oftentimes I would tell you that still, you know, sourcing that from a, a local butcher is where you're probably going to find, um, you know, the expertise within that particular area. One of the things I really loved about the book was the food writing in that you didn't just like plop down some recipes and expect people to get it or, you know, you, you had some information there. I'll take an example. Um, you know, there was the recipe for loose meat sandwiches. Like many people are going to say, here's loose meat sandwiches, but you really talked about like the history and where it comes from and where the name originated and even referenced the Roseanne show. I really love this because like for a food nerd like me, this is like catnip. Did you think about this when you were writing it? Because I think like if I gave this to somebody in Europe and because and, they say, well, what is American cuisine? I'm like, this is American cuisine. Was that kind of your intent in writing this? Yeah, you know, it happened so organically for me. Um, I've been able to travel. Uh, I live on American Airlines and also own my own plane too. So, you know, for me, travel is, is just synonymous with experience. And a lot of times I'm seeking um, just local uh, techniques and, and dishes that I've come across. And so, yeah, the loose meat sandwich, I think is one of the greatest inventions of all time. And there's some pop culture tied to it, but there's also some historical background. So I think as a food writer, you know, I'm often trying to present reasons why I've chosen this selection, uh, obviously specifically for the loose meat sandwich. Not only is it something that I really enjoy, but I think it's just an outstanding way to utilize one of the more common ingredients that you can source from your local butcher being beef, just with an alternative method. Um, you know, so for me, it is a little bit about time, place, circumstance, but I do want to give a little bit of background as to why it might be personally uh, tied to me and why is it in my book? And that's usually the question that I'm always trying to answer. There's thousands of different ideas and recipes, but for butcher, 
you know, I really wanted to focus, is there something specifically about this recipe that is tied maybe to the local butcher shop or towards a technique at home? Like we do shrimp on the half shell. That's an old sport fishing technique. We used to catch redfish. You'd fillet them down. And because the skin is tough, you cook them on the half shell, oysters on the half shell. Well, guess what? You can do shrimp that same way. So some of it was to technique driven. And then obviously the personal side as well. And I think that's important. You know, it may not be a long story there, but it gives you a little bit further chosen that selection for the book. I was really surprised when I was reading the book how vegetable forward it is. Um, there's some really outstanding um, recipes that you could basically feature vegetables in the meal there. And there was also a lot of just vegetable forward sides. Was that your intent in writing this or did you just kind of like, you're like, you, you had these recipes that you really liked and you just wanted to include them? You know, my job is to be the the author here, right? And be agnostic and, and follow what's happening and give you a snapshot of where we are today. And uh, butchering doesn't look exactly like it did a hundred years ago. Um, yeah. And so there's a lot of different styles and techniques. And as I mentioned, cultures and, and folks that are bringing it forward. And one of those people is uh, Cara Mangini, who uh, was really the original vegetable butcher of, of Italy in New York and uh, formerly trained chef. And she, her job is to make vegetables more of the center of the plate. And so she she did stand and, and spend many, many years where, you know, people bring her a cabbage or a kohlrabi or a broccolini and say, how how do I approach this? What's the best? And then, of course, that question that all butchers get, how do I cook this? I think it is important for me, um, you know, and there's a lot of quote unquote butchering and knife skills that go into uh, vegetables as much as proteins. And so being able to showcase that chapter is uh, hopefully meaningful. And I want people to look at this as a general cookbook through the lens of the butcher for meat, game, seafood, and vegetables too, from mains to appetizers, to stocks, to cocktails, even desserts. Uh, this can be a cookbook that is, is in every collection. It's just through the lens of, of the community that we find at our local butcher shop. Um, so Matt, I want to ask you, um, what's next for you? A lot of uh, promotion, taking something that's been really three years of my life and, and getting it out there. And, and for me, that responsibility is, is kind of day one when I ask somebody to be a part of this book. Um, you know, I really take that seriously. And um, I feel like as a, as a writer, I've got a lot of responsibility to tell people's stories. So it brings me a lot of joy to, to shine the spotlight on, on so many great people that I've encountered through my travels. Some have been organically and some I just kind of wanted to track down. Um, so highlighting, you know, this book and this work, and obviously there's a personal side as well, being able to share uh, posthumously my, my grandfather's story and part of our family's story. So it brings me a lot of pride to be able to, to have this opportunity to go out. Um, I'm also in the process of, of shooting another uh, television show that will uh, air on LG's network. We shot season one last year called Taste of Tennessee. And uh, this year, we're going to shoot another five episodes, uh, my great home state here and, and showcasing the people and the food. And then hopefully, um, you know, an author is only as good as their last book. Um, but, you know, my goal will be starting to uh, think about what's next, because um, at the end of the day, I, I love doing what I do and love being able to travel the world and, and tell other people's stories. And if I have one mission, it is the mission that I want more people to, to really find joy in cooking at home and, and, and perhaps maybe more importantly, sharing it with others. 
Well, you've done a great job with this book. So all that they have to do is get this book and they're going to be able to do that. We're going to have links to the book in the bio. I hardly recommend anybody listening to this go out and buy it. You won't be disappointed. From my mind, it's got some of the best um, recipes, you know, that really kind of cut across cultures in the United States and have just a kind of a little bit of everything that really represents this great country. And I, I really want to thank you for that. Thank you, Matt, for being on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. That was my conversation with the wonderful Matt Moore. He has a new book out, Butcher on the Block, which is available through links in the bio and through all retailers and better bookstores. Next week, you're going to want to hear my conversation with Lindsay Middleton, who is a food historian hailing from Scotland. We had a great time talking about food history. Come check out my conversation with her next week. I hope that you're having a great week. Maybe you're cooking some recipes this week from some of the guests we've had on the show. Until you hear me next week, keep on cooking. This episode is sponsored by Culinary Historians of Northern California, a Bay Area educational group dedicated to the study of food, drink, and culture in human history. To learn more about this organization and their work, please visit their website at www.chnorcal.org.